And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you roll into the bye week. Penn State 31, Northwestern 7. They are now 6-0, up to number 3 in the country. Life is good as a Nittany Lion, and right at the midway point, they will get some rest before their biggest stretch of the season. For us, every week is the same, bringing you the best info, analysis, halfway decent jokes here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz back, as always, on Monday. And then Friday this week, before we take our own bye week, um, which will really be a two-week buy for you because, as mentioned last time, we had a little rough patch uh, that may or may not have actually occurred. I had some guests on, and you are now back from Denver. Um, how was your trip, man? It was fantastic. Uh, shout out to the Penn State Alumni Colorado chapter. I uh, watched the game with them at the Larimer Beer Hall on uh, on uh, Saturday, and it was a fantastic setup. If you're in Denver, I really recommend going. It's pretty. Uh, they, they do an awesome job, so that's my plug for them. But, yeah, Denver as a whole. Never a bad time out there. We give a lot of free plugs in this podcast, I just realized. Between my Dime Mountain Dew a couple of weeks ago, I think we had one. Yeah, a lot of spotted cow talk, which I was able to finally enjoy in Wisconsin last episode, which you missed. And now this in Denver. You've got to earn the plugs from us, you know? It, 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 usually oh, they're beer, all worthy Usually plugs, beer's yeah. involved, but you've got to earn, <laughs> earn the plugs from us. Yeah. Um, now, if we're going to give any plugs from Penn State's performance at Northwestern, again, you know, an unusual 31-7 to game, kind of like we saw with 45-14 against Indiana. But that's secondary lights out. It, it swarmed Northwestern. People want to talk about the wind. Wind or not, they dominated the Wildcats from start to finish. We talk about Saquon. We talk about Trace in the offense all the time, and, and Penn State has sort of forged its identity with that in the last year. But this defense, man, they were all over Northwestern on Saturday. Uh, just dominant. I mean, they just ran things from, from start to finish, and, and Penn State special teams were good as well. Um, but yeah, Penn State's defense was the story of Saturday. Uh, spread across the board. If you take a look at the the tackle numbers, I think Penn State's leading tackler had five. Yeah, really balanced. Mark Sound had five at halftime. It, it was basically like Penn State, uh, the receiving uh, across the board, just very flat. But, uh, you know, it was a very good defensive effort. Uh, Marcus Allen was good. The defensive end stuck out. We, you know, before we went on the air, we were talking about Ryan Buckholtz. And, you know, I thought he had a phenomenal game just based on looking at the, at the tape. Um, two assisted tackles. So it's just a, a lot of complimentary football on that defense right now. And you look at that defense, currently number one in the country in points allowed per game. They're down to a fine nine. That is surely about to go up given you know the, the relative strength of schedule that they've had so far. Um, Northwestern now two and three on the season before that Indiana's had their own woes. But you know when you're 6-0 and and allowing nine points per game, you're doing a lot of things right. And I, I started with the secondary. I want to go back to that because you mentioned the tape. When I got a look at how exactly they shut down Northwestern as they did, albeit the Wildcats didn't have a whole lot of offensive creativity. But when Penn State just said, we're going to line up in man-to-man coverage and just take care of you, Clayton Thorson, 6 for 15 for 29 yards, a pick, and he took all four of his sacks when they were lined up in man-to-man. Yeah, and that's not all the wind either. They Penn State has some serious talent at corner. You saw, I think, uh, on Sunday or Saturday or Sunday, Pro Football Focus pointed out to uh, Christian Campbell as, as being the lockdown guy. Lost in all this, uh, Grant Haley has had a phenomenal season. I mean, he's been so he's good. been all over the place. He, he three pass breakups. Yeah, yeah, he's played in the slot. Um, he's played all over the place. He he did not get the pick that I predicted in in, in the game preview. Uh, his his other uh, teammates did as well, or his other teammates did. But yeah, I think Grant Haley. You, you can't understate what he's done in the first half of the season. He's just been phenomenal. You know, before the season, I remember saying that could really be a point of weakness for them, just considering the depth. If you're relying on a Lamont Wade or Tree Castro Fields in a big game because you have an injury here or there, you know, having a freshman against a Michigan or Ohio State or perhaps later on in the postseason is almost terrifying. 
Right now, this is a group I think overall that you feel best about on this team. And it's a credit to Haley, who I mentioned maybe week two or three could be headed to an all-Big Ten team. I think he's a lock, provided he doesn't have any injuries moving forward. They're not going to see a whole lot of great passing offenses. And Amani Orarie has been outstanding. Three picks. You know, he's been targeted more than any other Penn State corner just for him coming off of the bench. And, you know, you look at Campbell or Haley, that's more of a pick-your-poison. So you go with the third guy. But, you know, he has as many interceptions as anyone did a year ago. And Christian Campbell, with 10 pass breakups, can say the same thing for John Reed, who led the team after 14 games a year ago. Yeah, I wanted to mention Amani, but I wanted you to get the first mention, so you'd have to mention his last name, or pronounce his first name. I've been crushing that since I came aboard. You've been phenomenal with that. But yeah, he's he's been excellent. I mean, they, they go four deep. Castro Fields left the game the other day. But he's been solid. Lamont Wade did not play against the Northwestern. We expect him back from Michigan. But uh, it, it, it's there's just so much talent back there. I mean, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, there's holes in certain areas of that defense. You know, the linebackers haven't looked great at times or up the middle hasn't hasn't been great. But, you know, relative to what Penn State goes against on a week-in, week-out basis in the Big Ten with passing games, regardless of that, the cornerbacks have been phenomenal. Right. And I want to pivot back to the offense now because my defensive tail of the tape is up, you know, here on Monday morning on the site. You can check it out. Second takeaway had to do a lot with the defensive ends and what they were able to do against Northwestern's offensive line, which did shuffle um, a lot entering this game. So they had new guys in different spots, but nonetheless dominated offensively, though, you can't really say they dominated in any one area. Trace McSorley broke a program record, 15 straight completions. Congratulations there. Only 245 yards, two total touchdowns from him. And Barkley had more touchdowns than rushing yards in the third quarter. Another, like I said, 31-7 looks great. But when you watch the game, it almost didn't have that feel where not for how dominant they were defensively and special teams, which is okay, except for when your two best players are the ones kind of struggling. Right. ESPN put up a stat during the game the other day. Of course, I watched the game, you know, like everybody else on TV. Uh, they put up a stat where they, they mentioned the 2015 offense average, I think 23 points per game. And I'm looking back thinking that does not feel accurate at all. It feels, it feels uh, very high. And, and then you look <laughs> at what Penn State's averaging right now, and 31 points seems like a letdown. So yeah. uh, just this sort of, uh, you know, chugged along, chugged along. You know, it, it was not a, not a pretty offensive win, but, you know, they got it done and they still scored 31 points. Right, and I want to mend that earlier. I mean, McSorley was not struggling, and I think there's been this, you know, air, which I even talked about it with John McGonagall and Audrey when you were away last week, of people who have been critical of Trace. And you look statistically, any of the basic measures will tell you he's much better than he was not only at this point a year ago, but even at the end of last season when you're you're so seasoned and you're in the rhythm of this year, this year and you've got your chemistry. Chemistry with the wideout seems not to be to quite at that level anymore, and he's touched upon that before, uh, but he's playing very well. Barkley in the offensive line, though, is another story, and we keep coming back to the right tackle spot. You know, it, it's going to be a revolving door. We'll talk about it a little bit later in terms of what they want to get accomplished um, with the bye week. We're going to hand out game ball soon, recruiting, uh, and then take your mailbag questions. But, you know, sticking with Barkley, the conversation is always about the Heisman. Oklahoma goes down. Baker Mayfield's case seemingly with it. He had two touchdowns. You know, is the gap closed there a little bit from where we assumed he was after Indiana and after Iowa? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you see Penn State trotting out the all-purpose yards, and rightfully so, but those rushing yards are way down. I mean, it, he, he's 75 yards against Northwestern, of course, 53 of that on a touchdown run. So, yeah, I think his case is built around being an all-around player, and I think eventually people are going to start asking, hey, you know, you're a running back. Where are the rushing yards? And I think that that's going to chip away at his case. I still think he's the front runner right now, yeah. um, especially with with Oklahoma going down, but that, I think that's going to chip away at his case, and it's going to be something that, that 
that, you know, it's not that something they need to address because they're not coaching to win a Heisman, but, you know, you want your guy to win a Heisman. So Yeah, you're aware of that. I think they are. Very That, aware, that yeah. plays into it with the kick returns. You know, when, when Franklin was discussing, you know, or revealed that, hey, we've kind of planned on Barkley returning kicks all along, he said it's not necessarily a slight to Miles Sanders. And you take it as, well, obviously there's a significant enough difference there where you're putting Barkley ahead of him. Um, but I think it is, you know, part of the reason to get him in there more often. I mean, he played the first 60 snaps at Northwestern. Now, part of that's just the function of the rhythm of the game and how things went, but that's a guy you want to feed because there, there are, you know, ripple effects that are so positive for any school when you bring home a height and long after that guy who won it goes on to the NFL. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think he's, he's still ahead by a little bit. This next three-game stretch is going to be really trying and a test for him because of the way that, you know, Michigan locked him down on the ground a year ago, generally does to any team. He had success through the air last year. Um, you know, Ohio State, Michigan State, another team that locked him down, but we'll get into more of that later. Game ball for Northwestern. Who's getting yours? I'm going with McSorley. Uh, you know, you go on the road, you're going to need a steady performance from your quarterback. Um, you know, and you mentioned he wasn't lights out or anything like that, but 15 passes in a row, passing a Kerry Collins record. Anytime you can break a Kerry Collins record at Penn State, you're doing okay. So at Penn uh, State, not with the New York Giants. Not yes. with the Giants. Yeah. Well, I don't want to open up that wound for you, but uh, yeah, I, I'll go with McSorley. I know there's there's a bunch of guys that can go, but but as we mentioned earlier, uh, across the board, nobody. You know, not one guy jumps out defensively. Shaka Tony was very good. Um, he's a splash yes. play kind of guy. He's not going to play a ton of snaps, but he's a splash play guy. Buckholz was good. Marcus Allen was was good, which we've really come to expect week in and week out. Mm-hmm. He I, he's putting together you know an all Big Ten season as well. So uh, a lot of very good performances. I'll just go with Trace because I know you want to get into the secondary and, and and that's your baby this week. Yeah, I, I led with it. You know, I almost regretted because after Indiana and the way they kicked Lego out of the game basically and shut down Simi Cobbs. I wrote a whole piece about how they're nearing elite level. That piece really should have been reserved for this week because, you know, while Northwestern doesn't carry that same potency with their passing attack, their numbers were even better. I've already recited some of them. My game ball goes to that entire secondary. Troy Apke, too, was very good. You know, he came up and run support, delivered some hits, tied for the team lead in tackles, played well in man coverage. And, and, you know, that whole unit just had things unlocked, as they should have. And Northwestern knew they were at a disadvantage. Their only trick was really just a bunch set that was kind of detached from the formation where naturally you have these, you know, rubs and crisscrosses and it's more difficult to play man-to-man. Penn State handled that with ease. And you really saw it over the course of the game. Northwestern had no more answers. And and this group is, you know, in the conversation for best in the Big Ten, which is saying something with the likes of, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, all those other big programs. Veteran group. It just shows how much experience matters. Um, You know, you weren't sure what you were getting with Apke coming to the season. As you mentioned, he's been good. I know a lot of people don't want to see that, but so he's strange. Yeah, it's We're crazy. still getting it. Still getting it. Still I mean, that's kind of Twitter in a it, nutshell. But yeah, it's, and it's every you know, if he misses a play, it happens. Well, I mean, Marcus Allen misses plays. You know, Grant Haley misses plays. Yes. It, it happens. But yeah, it's just it's so it's mind numbing to see at times. But yeah, he's been good. The corners we've, we've talked about a ton. So that experience is is something that you can't understate from from that secondary. Now, moving on to recruiting, uh, last Friday, I don't know if you caught the episode, but I broke some news here that all of everyone's wishes were going to come true, and you wanted to make sure that you wanted everyone to know that any recruit that they desire will be coming on board. There's space for everyone. They can bring their brothers, sisters, whoever they like. Um, any, you know, you're, you're here to confirm that report. I appreciate that. That's my, that's why my Twitter blew up on Friday, I, I guess so. But, uh, yeah, we're not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> just sort of treading water with the 2018 class because just, we keep mentioning there's no space. I mean, it's, it's not changing. I mean, guys might, uh, you know, scholarships might open up, open up here and there, but it's not going to have a huge, 
uh, impact on how many guys they can take down the stretch in 2018, but they're still going to uh, keep in with those defensive linemen. Uh, you're going to keep uh, treading water with Rasheed Walker, who's you know now entertaining Ohio State as well, and, and they want him, so that's a, that, that's a big deal in that matter. Quantel Reigns is going to visit. I think he'll be back from the Michigan game next weekend um, as well. So you've got all these names, and they're not changing, but the, the situation is not changing either. Uh, it's also not changing with Tyreek Smith, but Penn State trending on the crystal ball on 24-7 sports right now, which is, you know, it's something worth looking at. Steve Wiltfong and I uh, put our pick in for Penn State a couple of weeks ago. Uh, obviously, we're hearing a lot of great things uh, from, from Penn State side of things. Ohio State in a similar situation where, where they're still uh, uh, pursuing Smith, still pursuing Jason Owe, Michael Parsons a little bit as well. So, um, you know, th- those two are sort of playing off each other. But, you know, we continue to hear good things on Tyreek Smith, who is off on his whirlwind tour of college football. Um, he will be at Penn State next weekend for the Michigan game and take his official after after the season. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, you see these guys that want to come in for for the official visit for a game weekend mm-hmm. and that's fine um it's not ideal for the the coaching staff to entertain a kid in that matter but it, and it's also not ideal if you're a prospect and they don't realize it, it's not ideal if you're a prospect to get the time that you want with the coaches to get to see everything you want to see on campus so now him, why is that it's just compare and contrast just really time. quickly just from it, it, january to a game week. it's just time i mean it, it, it's you you have all these commitments if you're a coach you, you've got to win that football game first and you know recruiting has to be secondary on that weekend no matter who you have in and that's why they want these guys to come in on unofficial visits and and come in and see the game and, and chat with the chat with the coaches a little bit spend some time with the players or whatnot get in the locker room and have all that fun jazz but at the same time you can bring them back in December, uh, get them around other commitments or, you know, get them around the commits that are coming in for their big weekend, uh, show them more of the program, spend more time with them, spend more time with their families, you know, go to dinner with them. You just don't have that kind of time on a weekend like, you know, when Penn State plays Michigan. So, right. so that's the preference for the coaching staff. doesn't always work out that way because some guys want to uh, announce and, you know, at the end of their senior season or, or before they get into an official visit weekend. And I think things can kind to change with the uh, the December signing period coming mm-hmm. up, but it, it's just there's so much more benefit for a guy coming in after the season. Sometimes you don't you don't get that uh, that long a rope to work with. But yeah. no better example than yours. Truly, you brought me on mid season, no visit, just come on, no time. You know, week four Michigan last year pried you away from the Lebanon yeah, paper. So. Yeah, summer would have been much better. Could have spent more time taking me to the creamery, but no, this was quick and, and that, just. And that's the thing I like about the 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 um, early official visit uh, proposal that's going on. I mean, a lot of these kids can't afford to get out. You you see how tough it is to get to Penn State. You you oh my gosh, t- uh, ten minutes from the stadium. You know you can sit in traffic for almost an hour, or, or you had to ride your bike into the pit game a couple well, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, different circumstances, so, but so much can go wrong for an unofficial visitor, just depending on game time, parking, flights, yeah, flights. Even yeah, I mean you got kids coming up from Florida for for the last game. Uh, I mean it's just so many things can go wrong on an unofficial visit weekend. You just have more uh, room for error if you're a prospect or whatnot on on a you know, a postseason visit or something like that. So, um, you know, you, you take your chance with the weather when you're Penn State, but at the same time, uh, you want to get those guys here unofficially for games, officially after the season and make it work. Last so, 2018 but, note before I knew you have some 2019 uh, news. This is on behalf of about half of Twitter. Uh, Michael Parsons at Nebraska, nothing new on that front or any. 
anything Penn State related. I haven't heard anything new. Um, I still have my Penn State uh, crystal ball pick in, and I still say that's a, a work in progress, and it, it's a very fluid situation. Um, everybody knows that there's there's more into account than the talent because if it's talent, I mean everybody wants case closed. Yeah, but uh, so that that's something that uh, we're going to keep an eye on. They say that the that an announcement's going to come. Uh, for, I, I don't know if they've actually come out and said November, but you know we're looking in the November uh, postseason uh, sort of thing. Harrisburg has, is going to have a state title run um, in them, so it's going to be something that he might want to get out of the way before that state title run. So, but I haven't heard anything new. Nebraska, okay. you know, it's a long way out there. Micah is, you know, he's being recruited by everyone. He's getting a ton of love from the Cornhusker staff. He loves, you know, w- what they're doing, and you know they, they they show him all the love. But at the, at the end of the day, Nebraska is a long way away. I just don't see him going that far and if he goes that far i think it's due south more more so than uh you know out west so um nothing new on the parsons front you mentioned a little bit more um penn state offered a kid from ohio and and and, uh, 2019 kid noah potter i'm mentioning this they're they're offering a bunch of guys right now and and they will be out on the road and they'll probably be a bunch more offers this week during the bye week but noah potter is a kid that they identified early as a potential member of this class he's a big kid he's six five six six two sixty sort of in that buckholes mode we talked about him mm-hmm. uh, a Tweet. little bit earlier yeah i mean he's uh he's a guy that they've liked for a while they've had him in camp they've had him on campus and and really once that offer came you know i thought about putting my crystal ball in right away just because wow. this, this is a dream offer for the kid um um, you never know what's going to happen. He's an Ohio kid. So, you know, the Buckeye pool is there, no doubt. But, you know, I, 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 if you're looking at a potential guy to join this class, maybe not anytime soon because his junior tape is just going up and he's going to see what kind of offers and, and interest he can draw from that. But if this is the guy that, that, that could definitely end up in Penn State's class. So that's why I want to bring Noah Potter's name up. He'll be back for the Michigan game next weekend. Loves Penn State and, and, he, and the staff likes him a lot as well. You know what I like? What do you like? Retaking a lead in Predict the Presser. This is going to be very short. You know, this weekly segment we do forecasting what we think James Franklin will address the media with and mostly naming players of the week from the game before. We're going to skip this because there's no press conference uh, tomorrow at Beaver Stadium. You mentioned all the coaches on the road. But last week, all three of my player of the week picks went through. We both whiffed on our extra prediction about, you know, I said James mentioned their lack of uh, success against Northwestern in his tenure. You went facilities. He went in a totally opposite direction. So I'm now 10 for 16 in Predict the Presser. He's, he's got to be listening. I, 9 of 16. No other way to explain it. He's got to be listening. If he didn't bring up the facilities, he, he's listening and, and purposely going around us and trying to trying to mess up our game. Well, going around us still puts me ahead. So whatever he wants to do, whether it's directly change his behavior to you know not give us correct answers or to fulfill us, is fine by me. Um, but yeah, so slightly long way to go, admittedly. And I know this is not your favorite segment, so we'll get back to what you love. Uh, recruiting. Bi-week goals. This intrigues me in that, you know, every year you're going to look at a couple of different things you want to do with your bi-week. Number one, rest. Number two, self-scout. Number three for the staff, get out on the road and make as large an impact as you can with whatever targets you are either adding to your board or already have there with now that you have this free time. Um, You mentioned they're going to be all across the country. For me, though, sticking with the team they have right now, I think you have to throw another item into that mix and perhaps up to number one, what to do with this offensive line. I think most of my mentions are about this. Right tackle, as I mentioned earlier, is a revolving door at this point. You've got Chaz Wright, Will Fries, you know, splitting snaps, and then Fries plays almost the entire second half against Indiana, now against Northwestern. Really not injury-related. It's just neither of them have earned the job. So the big question in these mentions has been, do you think they might test Brendan Mann, who played right tackle a year ago, back out there and try to make some shuffles personnel-wise? I would. 
Um, I, I, I don't know that they will. I would. Um, I don't know that it's the right decision, but I think you have enough time to play around with it. And they're not going to go heavy this week, and you're not going to find out much from your offensive line. But I think anything that you can do, and, and I don't know that Brendan Mann is the guy that you look to, to, to move or, or or anything like that. I mean, I think you need to... Well, that's not the move. What are you doing? I, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I okay. don't know. I, I, I just wonder, because I'm looking at the line, and the, and the guy that jumps out at me, and you hate to bang on somebody, but the guy that jumps out at me is out of position or just not catching up to the play is Steven Gonzalez. So... I, I'm I'm curious if they just you know move a couple guys around, play with it. You know you've got an opportunity where there's no pressure on you to do so. Mm-hmm. I don't think they end up moving, but I would play with it this week. I think they will play with it, and I'm I'm more with you. I don't think you want to move man out to right tackle because I think it's an issue of attempting to solve one problem and then creating another. I mean this line is still very young. You think about how it's lined up. From left to right, and yeah, you've got to change at center with Brian Guy now gone from how they lined up for the Big Ten Championship game in Rose Bowl. But they're still not a whole full season together playing as a unit. So that includes, you know, Ryan Bates switch positions, uh, you know, out to left tackle. You've got Chaz Wright at right tackle. You know, the injury woes have played in there. Still pass protection is an area you look at if you're an opponent for him and that you want to attack him with some more speed. Um, but I think they might see the remedy to this solution is not being shuffling guys around, but just giving them more time and allowing them to rest. Now, the other issue about that, as I mentioned, stop trying to solve one issue by putting man at right tackle, where he was very good at left and right tackle a year ago, is that then who plays right guard? The number one name that comes up when this issue is brought up is Michael Mennett, who we understand is behind the likes of Will Fry and some other guys just simply due to injuries he's had in the offseason and doesn't have as many reps under his belt. And that's something that's more difficult to communicate to people who see Michael Mennett, five-star, great talent, and just understanding that you know there's a reason he's only been out there largely in garbage time. There's potential there, but you're just trying to get him up to speed, and I don't think that would be a plug-and-play answer for them. Yeah, still high hopes for Mennett, by the way. We're not uh, saying... Oh, know, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's what... He's a redshirt freshman, and people are, are you know pulling out the B word for him already. I mean, it's not, not even close to being accurate. So, um, yeah, I think that you saw it earlier in the season. See, that had me pausing for a second because there's a real B word and I know where you were going with that, but yes, thank you for Uh, clarifying (laughs) bust. Okay. But, uh, yeah, earlier in the season, you move Gonzalez over to right guard, you put Will Fries in at left guard and the results weren't particularly great. So no, Gonzalez did not look at home or comfortable at right guard. Yeah. And I think you're just creating more, more problems, like you said. So, I would play around with it, but I don't think that the, that it's going to happen. I mean, we've seen it before, where you know, a, a couple of years ago, Penn State, you know, had a, a very bad experience in the offensive line and said, "All right, all five, all five jobs are up for up for grabs this week in practice." And heck, they came back the next game and it was exactly the same. Well, these these five guys were the five guys. So, so I think it, you know, I, I don't see them making a change. I don't know that a change is is going to do all that much for them uh, because they're they're going to have issues no matter what they what they have. So, um, yeah, I'd play around with it, but I don't I don't see it accomplishing that much. Yeah, I would say the same. You know, unless there's an injury that crops up during the bye week or a right ankle is more problematic than it appeared on game day. Again, he he started um, played the first two series, then Fry's rotated about every third until he took over in the second half. You know, it's a group that you want to let develop and take more reps, and they should naturally improve. And really the issue isn't so much, you know, assignments. It's what we hear them saying week after week after week. It's straining more, sustaining blocks, just finishing and creating that little bit more space because that's all that Barkley needs. We can all see it. Um, But that's really been an issue of just kind of driving guys into the ground. And I think that only comes from, you know, added emphasis on their mentality 
and reps in practice and just developing that mean streak. And when you have a guy in Brendan Mann who those issues, you know, do not pertain to him, moving him to a different spot and then removing that out of him at a guard, which is, you know, more run heavy position, I think, um, you know, not necessarily run heavy, but those skills are better suited for that position. You know, I don't think helps you in, in the grand scheme of things. So it's an interesting thing to look at. They'll, you know, decide as, as they see fit. Um, but that for me is a big thing in the bye week. And, you know, in terms of rest, I, no guys really stand out to me right now as being nicked up. Mike Gesicki played after, personally, I didn't think he would at Northwestern. Um, Gesicki had a you know midsection injury, played with a rib protector. Sharif Miller mentioned he feels a little bit nicked up. The bye week's coming at a good time. But a lot of these guys, you know, couldn't care less. They just, just want to keep rolling. The bye week coming at a good time is something every college writes about or, you know, every every person writes about. during. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good time considering the schedule that's coming up. So, so yeah, get those guys healthy. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I just go back to the the offensive line. In an RPO, you can't get down the field, obviously. And I think that's you know, it's something that when you're an offensive lineman, you're, you're sort of playing on your heels a little bit. And and these younger guys, is, is that something that you know is really holding them back? You know, are, are they taking a step back before they take a step forward? You know, because they can't get down the field because of the the pass option. You know, is that something you think? you can attribute to the relative inexperience of some of these guys? I wouldn't say so because I think when you look at their major issues, it's not so much in the RPOs, which again, that's going to be a split-second decision. It's in short yardage where there's a deliberate read. You know, There's a deliberate decision, just I need to move this guy and I need to take him out of this space and you see they're just coming up short. They're not able to do so. So it's, you know, they're read runs, so there's hesitation in the backfield, but it's not due to the decision of run or pass. It's a decision of do I give or do I take? Now, sometimes that's on McSorley and or Barkley, but for the most part, if there's just, you know, a little block held on longer at Iowa, you know, that game doesn't come down to the, to the last second. If they're able to do so at Indiana, Barkley gets going earlier. Um, and, and the other issue is not only just sustaining blocks, which, you know, they mentioned because they're not going to tell you part of what's going on, is their inability to handle some stunts and twists. We're seeing a lot of teams, Northwestern, not a team that likes to slant a whole lot. Their defensive line was moving, man. Like, they were going in different directions, jumping in different gaps, linebackers folding in late. And that's an issue that, you know, schematically other teams can can throw in until they get that settled. That's going to be an issue, too. So I, I all, neither of those components have to do with the RPO. I get where it's coming from. But in some pass, you know, in some sets, you're in pass protection anyway in a spot draw um, or other runs because, again, you just don't feel you could protect if you go with run blocking and McSorley pulls out for a pass, you know, you're going to be able to let guys slip by you if you don't get them initially and you're leaning forward. So some teams prefer to pass protect in these RPOs, um, and you've seen Penn State do that at times. Yeah, I just wanted to set you up for that because I know that's been something you've been talking about. And, and you said it the other day, it's not so much the play call. You know, it's, it's the execution because um, you, you were tweeted about the, the power runs and the power reads, power read, the, yeah. the power reads and things like that. I mean, it's not... It's not something that, you know, this is a, a bad play call from a Moorhead or whatnot. I mean, it's it's something completely different. Yeah, the, the most popular play in the NFL right now that's kind of taking off is one that Pitt unveiled, you know, a year ago. And honestly, you could find going back to Alabama and Bear Bryant in the 70s, as I found out today, is that this, this, this shovel pass that's added on to the power read. The power read is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Penn State used it a number of times a year ago. It's a base run in their offense. They successfully. Sh- yeah, yeah, successfully. They shredded Iowa and Maryland with it. You know, those games jumped to mind for me. Over 100 yards in that run alone. The only issue I see with it now, and they've added a different component where instead of, you know, the power read is basically this. A, a power run, generally speaking, you're running to one side and you have a backside guard coming around to pull for the runner as, you know, if you're going right, he'll come from the left and he'll run ahead. So you have a guard moving ahead to block 
an end, a defender at the end of the line of scrimmage. And what McSorley is doing is, again, a decision to read that defender and either keep for himself and run up the middle or give it to Barkley behind the guard going to the outside. So they did that in that sense, you know, traditionally a year ago. Now what they've done is had Barkley align opposite the guard. So he's not running behind him. He's to the right of McSorley where the guard might be on the left, and they're pitching it to Barkley initially as the guard comes around. So if that visual doesn't work for you, let me just leave it at this. Part of the issue, you mentioned Steven Gonzalez, a guy that you want to see more from. Just the speed to get around the corner sometimes isn't there. So then you have a defender who's able to make the decision for McSorley and that he either has to give or take because he's not being blocked as it is, and they have some issues. So I don't know if they'll run more or less power read more running forward, but the bottom line is that play calling and the design is fine. It's just a matter of the execution, and they know it better than anybody else. So I think you know that's basically where we have to leave it now for the offensive line. That goes into the self-scouting port that I brought up earlier, though, and that's something they're definitely going to have to look at because you know you don't want to have Barkley pinned down as he has been the last two games. Absolutely, absolutely. And switching gears, uh, let's talk a little special teams. How good has Blake Gillikin been? Man? <laughs> He's just – I know you you mentioned it. We were talking a little bit earlier, and uh, the kid is an All-American you know, in my eyes. He's just – the difference between two, three years ago in the punting game uh, to where it is with Blake Gillikin. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at his, I think it was his last punt or something, the touchback um, against Northwestern, uh, he nailed that ball. I mean, just absolutely crushed it. And then he's mad because it, it you know, it uh, went a couple yards into the end zone. That's to think about where the standard was and where the standard is with Blake, Blake Gillikin. It's just it completely flips the, um, you know, just the outlook of that special teams unit. And I'm going to kind of hold back here because I'm going to write about this a little bit later in the week. So stay Perfect. tuned for for more Blake Gillikin coverage here on Lions 24/7. But you know, I dropped a nugget in my notebook after Northwestern because you looked at that game and, and he has just been crushing the ball as you mentioned further downfield or dropping it inside the 10 whenever he wants. 18 punts already through six games, he has dropped inside the 10-yard line. Now, partially it's a credit to all the coverage guys getting down there in time and being able to down the ball, but he's been able to put it exactly where he wants it. And I think it's about 20 out of 25, that number might not be exactly correct, of his punts. So again, you know, 80% are either more than 50 yards or they're getting inside the 20-yard line. So and that's unbelievable. So the Gillikin versus Gillikin storyline that ESPN put up about 20 times during the game on Saturday, you'd say that went in Blake's favor? Yeah, I think I think Blake would have won. If you just want to talk about performance and success, you know, up against the secondary, maybe that would be even, but he beat out everybody. Yeah, um, and, we, and we don't look at punters by punters, uh, you know, across the country. But Yeah, that's why also I'm hesitant about All-American, but I mean, he's, I mean, if he's definitely not, a consideration. He's not a top three five punter then i mean this it's a good this other guy punters. yeah this other guy <laughs> must have a, a, a bionic leg or something so yeah he's just uh irreplaceable honestly yeah. irreplaceable for penn state now i said stay tuned for that uh article also stay tuned our next episode on friday will be our last for a week it's gonna be fun though because we're gonna take our entire time up until then to talk about who deserves mid-season awards what are the questions that we had preseason that have been answered questions that we still have now a couple of top five lists more recruiting news and everyone who's going to be in town um, looking ahead and take your mailbag questions. And I think a couple more segments that we just haven't thought of yet. But again, we have the whole week to do so. But the mid-season review, I think, comes you know a good time for us because six games are in the books. Six are still yet to come. And you know there, there's a lot we've learned about this team. But still, the sense is the real schedule starts October 21st. You know, what should be a night game against Michigan, followed by Ohio State and Michigan State. So you're saying the bye comes at a perfect time for us? I'm saying it always comes at a perfect time. For me personally, yeah. yeah. The travel, I've told you this, like, it's coming at a good time for your boy. 
um, you know, even the team aside. But I think for them uh, and the podcast, things are going well. So lastly, mailbag, what do we got? What units will be most critical for the next three-game stretch against Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State? By the way, Michigan State, big win over the, uh, over Michigan this weekend. Uh, which units will be most critical? I mean, you're going to need all hands on deck in every single one of those games. The latter two are on the road. Michigan, we all know, is the next game. It's going to be at home, whiteout, probable game day, everything. But Michigan in particular, up front, you need those offensive and defensive lines ready to go. Uh, they were for Ohio State a year ago in the same situation, late October, night game, all that. And that's what really decided the game outside of the special teams plays that were made late. But, you know, if they're not able to win up front or Michigan has its way as it did a year ago, then they're going to be in some trouble. Absolutely. Michigan and Ohio State's defensive line can push Penn State's offensive line around. And, you know, obviously if they can't get going, that's a, that's a, that's an issue for them. So yeah, I think it's the offensive line, no doubt about it. Um, after that, I go with uh, McSorley. I mean, you, you, you know who these teams are going to key on. It's no secret. Everybody has done it. Uh, McSorley's got to make those decisions. He's got to be sharper than he's been in, uh, you know, in, in recent weeks and recent, uh, in, in the first six weeks of the season. Um, you know, if, if he can take that next step, Penn State can take that next step and, and it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're, they're the number three team in the country right now. They're going to be favored against Michigan. They're going to be cl- as as close to even against Ohio State as they've been in you know twenty years or whatever. I'm so, going to throw out a line. I'll say uh, probably Buckeyes like two and a half that, or three. I was thinking three. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's going to be a lot of pressure situation. He's going to have to make those big throws. So. Uh, and it's interesting. We were talking about all the questions that Penn State had on the defensive side of the football coming into the into the season. Well, we're not. We're barely talking about that right now. We're talking about the offense getting going, and 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 I think the offensive line and McSorley are the two to to, to, to go to right now. All right. Uh, this question was not actually really a question, but I, but it brought up a good point. Uh, quote Tyler Davis. Period. Discuss. Period. The fact that none of that was all caps, uh, you know, which is that's yes. what I've gotten on Twitter a lot with Tyler Davis. I mean, that's just been, uh, you know, a really unfortunate situation for Penn State. Uh, I, I attribute some of that to snapper issues, but man, it, it's all mental. You've seen it with Sam Ficken when you're a kicker and you, and you can't hit. I mean, it's it, it's going to be a problem. So I, I don't know that you can nail down one thing. I don't think they've been a, a fluid unit from snapper to holder to kicker. But you know, at the end of the day, Tyler Davis has to make those those chip shots and that. I think that's the most concerning thing. And, and you can talk about angles. You can talk about, uh, you know, getting the ball back slower or anything like that. I mean, 25-yard kicks to 30-yard kicks, he's got to hit, man. 21-yard kicks against Indiana. Yeah, this this for me, I, I you could spread the blame around. You mentioned snapper, holder, a couple of blocks mixed in there, too. They seem to identify what the issues were there. Um, but Tyler Davis, you know, a couple of these kicks, you just go, how did this happen? Because, you know, probably one of the most recited stats in the preseason was he's only missed two kicks in his career and both of them were blocks. Yep. And now he's, yep. he's missed more than he's made so far this season. Uh, not totally a result of those blocks. And it's really just a big question mark for guys, redshirt senior and has NFL aspirations. And, you know, right now, perhaps just like for us and for the team, the bye week's coming at the perfect time. But we'll see moving forward because, as you mentioned, if it's mental, the pressure and the mental aspect of this is only going to rise. Yeah, and the confidence level that Penn State's coaches are going to have in him, and and they're going to stand behind him, no doubt. And and I think it's not time for a change to Alex Barbier or anything like that. I don't think that's close. But, yeah, you're going to get into a situation where he's going to have to make a 40-yarder, and you have to decide if you want to go for it on fourth down. You know, with Penn State short yardage, that's that's not an automatic. So, 
Um, I, I think that it, it, it's an issue that I, anything besides it, Tyler Davis getting over that hump is, is not going to fix it. So, um, you know, snapping issues are there, holding issues. I, I don't know that there's been holding issues. Those have actually been better. Now yeah. that I think about it, I don't think we should kind of, you know, yeah. make that. The snaps have been... Uh, Yaz was so consistent last year. You didn't notice it. You notice it a little bit more this year, and I think that's that that's been a problem. So, um, you know, it, it's been okay. It hasn't been you know as good as it's been in the past. So, but yeah, it's, it, it all comes down to Davis, and it's got to be execution on his part. Okay, execution is made much more difficult when you are in the middle of a monsoon, as Michigan found out Saturday night, losing to Michigan State uh, for the second time in Jim Harbaugh's tenure. Question here is: Does Michigan's loss affect Penn State's shot at the college football playoff? Well, I didn't watch the game, so I can't comment on that. I just know it was not the prettiest uh, on either side, and that's two losses at home by Jim Harbaugh to Michigan State, which that's that's not good, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in state rivalry. Uh, you know, I'm a little split on that. Um, I, I I think it, you know, you want Michigan probably undefeated um, coming into Penn State. You know, it's going to bolster the resume, but right now, you know. I don't think Penn State's opponents are going to do much to, to to factor into what Penn State's doing for the playoff. They just got to win, you know. It's a, and it's more about that than anything. I think beating a what, six and one, seven and one Michigan team is is not much different than beating a seven and zero Michigan team. So, um, I don't think it has a a ton to do with it. I think you may disagree with that a little bit. Yeah, I think it does hurt their shot, but it's not in the sense of you know long term. This will have major ramifications. It's just. With the sample that we have so far, and then will after Penn State plays them after seven weeks, you could potentially be looking at you know their big win is against a Michigan team that already has two losses midway through the year. Say they finish nine and three, you lose at Ohio State, which is again an assumption that you know could very well be wrong, and that game could be a toss up. Probably will be. Um, you know you're eleven and one, and that's your best win is over a three loss team in your conference at home under the lights when you came off a bye. Like that just chips into your strength of schedule, which in my mind is the second most important thing to this committee behind win loss record. So if you're eleven and one, but then the other team in your conference is eleven and one in Ohio State and they beat you head to head, that gives them an edge and they have, you know, better wins presumably on on the resume when you look at just they had a stronger non conference and you know, they they played the same teams in the Big Ten, but ultimately they beat you. And if you have the same win loss, that gives them the edge. Um, but you know, it, it's difficult to say at this point because there's so much football left to be played. But I'm with you. It's just you. If you're a Penn State fan, you would have rather Michigan won, and then you any team that you beat, you want them to do as well as possible the rest of the season. I think just now, if they are handed their second loss, you know the likelihood is they'll probably pick up a third, and that is not ideal for Penn State. Yeah, yeah. No, you make some good points. I, I don't think it matters all that much, but yeah, I mean it's definitely. Uh, you want to pl- you you want your resume to to have as few losses on it as they have, and you know, it, it, will one make a difference? I don't think so, but yeah, it, yeah I can see it both ways. Right, I, they take care of their business and, and beat Michigan, and it's a close game against Ohio State. I don't think you can punish them for it. Again, I'm not a big proponent of strength of schedule for that very reason. I, I don't want to credit teams for the success that's been of their opponents. It's entirely out of their hands after they play them. Like, why why should I give you? You know, credit or take credit away from you. I want to know how you as a team performed given the schedule that you had, which was predetermined years ago. If you got lucky and the teams you scheduled in the not conference all of a sudden got good from the time that you said, hey, let's play, you know, that's not a credit to you. That's just dumb luck. Yeah. And you just, it just comes down to keeping that zero in the loss column as long as you can. Uh, you know, you avoid uh, an Iowa State like upset, which, by the way, was just incredible. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't see that very often. Um, especially at home for Oklahoma. Uh, so uh, you just keep that zero in the loss column. And, and honestly, I mean... You know what? I'll say this, too. I think that loss by Oklahoma helped Penn State 
more than Michigan's loss to Michigan State hurt them. Okay. Why? Uh, because I think if you're looking for direct competition, you know, you're looking at Oklahoma, which now has a loss, and against a good Big 12 conference that I think top to bottom is not giving it, getting as much respect as it deserves. So if you're one loss going head-to-head with Oklahoma, and let's say you lost to Ohio State, and that's your one loss, again, total assumption, and they're comparing your resume to Oklahoma who beat Ohio State, mm-hmm. then I think you'd have to naturally give the edge to the Sooners. Again, I take more things into consideration than that. But again, looking at the committee, which historically has been, you know, they're big on records, whether or not your strength of schedule is great or not, and then who you played, uh, I think this naturally lends a hand to Oklahoma. But now that's not the case because they have that loss. And, you know, yes, they beat Oklahoma, but there's a lot more football to be played, and, you know, Michigan still should be a solid team. A lot more football to be played, none by Penn State this week, and I think that's a good place to wrap it up as, as we head into the bye week. We, of course, we'll be back on Friday uh, with our midseason awards and, and a lot more recruiting talk. But, yeah, that's uh, Penn State 6-0, and number three in the country. is a good spot to be in halfway through the season. Bye week coming at a good time. Yeah, me, you, and them. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Bye-bye.